I have a case right now that I'm working where we had uh, Rhode Island called us and we had a local guy here who was doing that with a boy in Rhode Island. He was video chatting him, recorded him doing stuff, and then started saying, hey, if you don't send me more, I'm going to send this to your parents. Um, I'm going to send this to all your friends on Facebook and just went through that. We eventually arrested the guy here and we got to a point where we just had to stop because there were so many victims and he had done this so much that there's no way we could get through all the data that he had and how many times he'd done this. Um, there was kids on the chat saying, if you don't leave me alone, I'm gonna kill myself because I can't get away from you. Um, which us as adults, we just seem like, well, why don't you just block them? You know, just why don't you just leave this person alone? But the kids in this age group, their brains aren't developed and their hormones are all over the place. so. They're just bad decisions waiting to happen. Sexual predators are lurking online, waiting for their next victim. How can we as leaders and parents be proactive in protecting them before they fall prey? Today, we speak to someone who specializes in doing just that. I'm Jeff Eckert. I'm Jason Brewer. And this is The Thought Factory. The Thought Factory podcast is brought to you by Never the Same. Cultivating students through biblical discipleship and spiritual disciplines using theology, community, and technology. Learn more at neverthesame.org. Well, here we are as we record this. It's the end of the year. It's almost Christmas. I can't believe it. Last episode of the season. And it's a good one. And it's going to be... Wow, we've never done anything quite like this in this interview. It's going to be pretty intense here. Are we talking about Brian? Yeah. Okay. Today's episode is another interview with a detective who specializes in internet crime and sexual predators, and we are fascinated by just his approach to youth ministry. Brian's a great guy. I've had personal conversations with him, and... A job like this really weighs heavy on you personally in your life. I've talked to him off the record about that a little bit, the things that he experiences at work and what he does just to cope with that in his personal life, but really engaged in his local church, engaged in his local youth ministry, and really cares about kids and students. So we're grateful to have him with us. We're going to be joining him here in just a few moments. As always, we just want to say thank you for listening to this and joining us on this podcast. And if you haven't, I want to encourage you, subscribe. There's lots of different platforms that people are listening to this podcast on. It might be YouTube, it might be Spotify, it might be iTunes, whatever. But hit that subscribe button and continue to hang with us as we release new episodes. Like we said, it's going to be a few weeks of holiday break for us. We're going to be taking a little break before we jump into season six. Got some exciting things happening there that we've got already lined up and planned for you. But for today, this will be it for this season. And we've got information that we draw our content from, Jason. We want to get that in their hands. Yeah, since it's a Christmas season and we are in the mood of giving, we have a gift for you called the Adolescence in the Church Trend Report. You can find that at neverthesame.org slash podcast. Please go there for your free gift because... Like you said, Jeff, we will be off for a number of weeks. You can go and find that, and you can just look at it and, and just reminisce of all the numbers that we've thrown at you in this past season. And go back to our last episode, and you haven't heard that yet. We had an outstanding interview with Lindsay Gorvet, who works with us, a dear friend, 
passionate about the Bible and what she does. And so it's exciting to hear from her about the engagement of the Bible for students and, and what she's doing and what we desire to see you as youth leaders do in your youth ministry. Brian, it's great to have you with us, and you've become a good friend of mine personally, and it's fun seeing you every summer at NTS camp, and we've had some conversations for about a year leading up to this interview and episode, so I'm really excited to have you with us. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. So in what you do, we talked a little bit even personally, you know, before this conversation on air about your job and what you do and how that affects your life. So tell us a little bit about what you do. Right. So I'm an investigator and I work internet crimes against children. And just really what that entails is investigating, obviously, any crimes on the internet that involve children. And um, just for the listeners out there, like how a lot of these cases are generated is if you don't know already, um, no matter what app you're on, what email you use, anything like that, they need to be watching what comes and goes. So um, say that there's there's a Gmail account and there's an email um, or even a Facebook and there's something that's uploaded to that medium, whether it's child pornography, whether it's a threat of something that's going to happen, things like that. Those companies have a duty to report that, just like a teacher at a school has a duty to report um, if they see child abuse. Um, they report that to the National Center of Missing and Exploited Children, and from there they look at the IP address, which is pretty much your address to the internet, where you got on the internet, and then that gets packaged up and sent to, we'll say if it happens in my area, it's western South Dakota, they package it up, send it to us, and we start investigating from there. So. Everything else past that is just a normal investigation. You're trying to find people, interview people. And then, of course, we have another aspect of evidence, uh, which is all the digital evidence, which some of it's seen and some of it's not seen, where kids have a hard time figuring this out, especially in the, in the Snapchat world, uh, when they think it's gone, it's not actually gone. There's a second part of a computer, which all cell phones are computers now, called unallocated space. So... That is not accessed by the user, but we can still find deleted pictures, deleted messages. Things like that can still be found on the device, whether people think it's there or not. So um, from there, we just collect all the evidence and present it to our prosecutors or go find victims and rescue them and pretty much go forward from there. Brian, how much of your job is undercover? Uh, that all just depends on the rest of my caseload. Sometimes none, just because, just due to the fact that we have so many cases coming in, and we just don't have time to be proactive at all, and we're reactive. Um, we have a couple operations throughout the year where it's just strictly that whole week um, that we are undercover. But I always have profiles up where I am a boy and a girl, um, ages 13 to 15, or I'm a parent of some sort trying to sell kids. So I always have those up in my area just seeing if anybody will respond to them. For students, what are the what are the dangers or what are the gateways that make them vulnerable when they're online? Right. There's there's so many apps out there right now that claim to be anonymous. And that's some of the worst stuff that we see. I, I had a note here I was going to talk about um, live video chats. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of Omegle or Chat Roulette. Have you guys ever heard of those sites? Yes. 
Okay. Well, with that, that's just, it even says on the chat that you're speaking with a stranger. And then after so many um, seconds, that video will change to somebody else. Well, inevitably, that ends up being not another kid that they're talking to. It's going to be some predator waiting to find these kids to find a way to either sextort them or um, just get pictures from them. Or else they're going to find another predator and they're going to start trading child pornography with that other predator. So kids have to be aware of that because that just seems fun and whimsical, like, oh, we're going to go talk to a stranger, but we're not really meeting a stranger. But that can, that can lead down a path that they can't come back from or they don't think they can come back from. I have a case right now that I'm working where we had uh, Rhode Island called us and we had a local guy here who was doing that with a boy in Rhode Island. He was video chatting him, recorded him doing stuff, and then started saying, hey, if you don't send me more, I'm going to send this to your parents. Um, I'm going to send this to all your friends on Facebook and just went through that. We eventually arrested the guy here, and we got to a point where we just had to stop because there were so many victims, and he had done this so much that there's no way we could get through all the data that he had and how many times he had done this. Um, there was kids on the chat saying, if you don't leave me alone, I'm going to kill myself because I can't get away from you. Um, which us as adults, we just seem like, well, why don't you just block them? You know, just why don't you just leave this person alone? But the kids in this age group, their brains aren't developed and their hormones are all over the place. So they're just bad decisions waiting to happen. And I think that's where we need to come in as youth leaders and surround them with truth and positive outlets so they don't get stuck in these areas of the Internet. Yeah. <clears throat> Is there a common age or stereotype, or what are the common threads for victims? Anymore, there's not a common age. It seems to get younger and younger every year. But this is not anything in a study. This is just what I know, what I've seen from cases. I kind of put them into two areas of what a lot of victims look like that I deal with. And I'm sure there's plenty of other victimology out there, but this is just what I see. The first, you see your kid that comes from a broken home. And, and both of these can be either boys or girls. Just the thought that girls are always the victim. You know, it's about 50-50 anymore as far as boys and girls wow. go, where boys are getting victimized just as much as girls are. So um, the first one is broken home, you know, single parent family. The mom or the dad maybe has to work extra hours to try and pick up the slack. This kid's going to have a lot of extra time on their hands. They want answers to things, and there's no one to give them answers. So, well, we give them a cell phone so we can reach them in case of an emergency, which they also have access to the Internet on that. So they're going to reach out, and they're going to find their answers however they try to find them, and they may run into a predator. This predator is going to start to give them the attention that they want, reaffirm them, and next thing you know, they're in a situation that they don't want to be in. And this is the type of person that a lot of the predators really look for. And this is the, most of the time, the persona that I take on in my undercover roles, just because it's easy to put out there that there's no parents home, so I'm available to do stuff. If I need me to walk and meet you, I can come meet you. And they seem to really jump on that and like that. The second victim is sometimes surprising to people, but it's, I've seen this a lot too, is the kid that seems to have it together. They have the good grades seem like they have great parents. Parents are home, but here's the problem. When the parents are home, 
they're also on their devices. You know, they're, they're holding these kids to such a high standard and the kids are working hard, but when the parents are home, they're not home. So with that, the kid doesn't get the affirmation and the, hey, you know, you did a good job. We do what I asked you to do. So then they have self-esteem issues. So they're online and they're easily to get victimized as well, too, because all it takes is one predator to say, hey, you're pretty cool or you're pretty or I like the music you like. And then now they see someone who's an adult who's going to pay attention to them. And it really just opens them up to be a victim in that way as well, too. So those are the two main ones that I see. Like I said, I'm sure there's others out there. But just in the cases I work, this is what I see the most of. Brian, in our correspondence, you mentioned you may step on some toes in regards to the victim number two description. Can you elaborate for our audience? Yeah, absolutely. Being Christian, sometimes families take take the role of, quote unquote, I'm going to let Jesus take the wheel. You know, I'm just going to pray for Johnny and Betsy and everything will be all right. You know, and I believe there's absolutely time for prayer for our kids. We need to be praying for our kids constantly, probably more now than ever. Uh, But I feel, you know, what's on my heart and the way I parent my kids, and I'm not perfect by any any means. I don't want to say that. Uh, But God wants us and he needs us to be present and intentional with our kids. Um, This may mean that you need to talk to your kids about the hard subjects. Talk to them about sex good touch, bad touch, and their future and everything in between. So we'll probably touch on this a little later, but their digital footprint and what it can do in their future. Ephesians 5, 15 through 17 says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And I just take that as like, man, like you do have to take every opportunity you have with your kids to speak truth into them. And I'm sure you guys have seen this at camp. I, this is where I noticed it most at camp is sometimes if you're just next to a kid and you don't even say anything, you're just walking with them. Like that opens up a whole new door that they'll start talking to you about something that you never even expected. So being present in the moment with the kids, I think is one of the most important things to keep these kids safe. Yeah, when you were mentioning the victim, the second option of the victim being from a Christian home where, you know, sometimes we can go have this approach of, well, not my kids because we are instilling Christian values and all that stuff. But it's almost just as much when we are disengaged, no matter how much value we have at home in talking to our kids, if we are disengaged and are on our devices just as much, we're not present. We're not there engaged with them and how they can fall victim to predators as well. A question I had in regards to predators, is there a thread that you have found, a stereotype that you go, it doesn't surprise me when I see this type of person? See, that's where, that's where we're at a loss, because there isn't. With this crime, with this obsession, with this whatever you want to call it, where people, where adults prey on children. They like children. They are sexually aroused by children. The only thing that surprises me anymore, I guess doesn't surprise me. It's, it's just everywhere. It's everyone. You can't just, you can see someone who's maybe strung out on drugs and you'd be like, that's a drug user, you know? But with this, we've had doctors, we've had lawyers, judges, down to homeless people, down middle class. It's all over the board. 
you know, sometimes you have things that you, you may say make sense, like, oh, they're a teacher. That must have been why they decided to become a teacher was to be near kids. But as far as putting them in a box for a suspect, it's pretty hard to do because it just depends on their background, how they were aroused, what they're aroused by, and what they look for uh, when they're either on the Internet or in person. What's the uh, numbers in your experience, I know this isn't scientific, but men and women, as far as predators, what's the percentages that you've seen? Um, all I can see is mainly just from here, and it's probably about 95% men to 5% women is what it is. Now, I think that's going to change in the future just because the pornography that's out there and what it promotes, and a lot more girls, young girls, are starting to watch pornography because their brain is in a developmental stage, once again, it's not scientific. This is just from what I see and what I perceive. When their brains are changing and their hormones are going and they're putting this kind of input into their brain to develop their brain, they're turning their brains more into male brains, men's brains. We are very visually stimulated, guys are. That's just how we roll. That's how, how God made us and that's how we're always going to be. Girls aren't normally like that, but when they're in their developmental stage of their brain and they're putting this input in of this horrible stuff that's out there, I feel we're going to see more women predators in the future because that's being glorified in the pornography that's online right now. And thinking about predators again, I know when we talked recently this summer, I was just asking you about you know the effect on on you personally, because I've known a lot of people in law enforcement and detective work, and there's a party that when you go home, you know, you've got to disconnect. And as you've done this work, you know, one of the things I sense is you've really gotten into the mind of what motivates people that are predators. My question is, is pornography always a factor with a predator? Um, I would say yes. Um, at some point or another, there's some sort of pornography that either we're going to find or that was in their life. You don't see it often. It does happen. We did have a case here recently where it was um, an adult figure that was uh, perpetrating on a child um, that we didn't find any pornography. And once again, that's just what we found Um there's plenty of ways to hide stuff nowadays uh, as far as digital media goes or even with um, just hardback media, I guess, is the way to explain it. You know, old magazines, things like that. But I still think no matter what, there's going to be some sort of piece of pornography that's going to be added into um, our suspects to help them go to that next level, if that makes sense, as far as going hands-on. I was just reading Genesis again today. <laughs> Eve didn't just grab the apple and eat it. She looked at it, she admired it, saw that it looked good and delicious, and then she took a bite. Um, I think that, that that's why this is the pornography is part of it. They see it first, and, and they're like, wow, that, that looks like it may be kind of fun. And then they go out and actually try it and... Uh, and do what they came to do. That's a that's an incredible insight. The reason I ask you that question, Brian, is we've had some interactions in the past, not in this podcast, with a friend of ours, a friend of mine, Craig Gross, who leads something called Triple X Church, which is a, a great resource, by the way, 
as you listen, if you're interested in something that can expand your awareness and even provide accountabilities and structures, it's xxxchurch.com. But Craig talks about Porn Boulevard. He talks about when you start online, it always goes offline. In other words, when you start looking at porn, and just like you said, Brian, it's progressive. So it takes you to another level. And then eventually that takes you to action. It takes you to probably things that maybe when you first started, you'd think, oh my goodness, I would never even dream of that. And then all of a sudden you're there. And and I wanted to ask that. And I wanted to have you share because I'm on the board of the National Day of Prayer. And this May in Washington, D.C., I sat in a room with a panel of leaders and James Dobson was there and others. And the reason I mentioned James Dobson is because he was asked, what do you think is the greatest challenge of our day? And he said pornography. And I was not surprised, but really stunned in, in some way that he would say that as his number one, like just completely first response without even hesitation. So it's such a danger. And unfortunately, you're in your line of work, you're dealing with that all the time and seeing what it does to people's lives. And if I can just add one more thing on that, um, if we go back to when, when we were kids, you know, maybe our first exposure to pornography was either the bras in the J.C. Penney's magazine, or maybe you found Dad's Playboy. Um, now the entrance for these kids is hardcore, violent pornography at their fingertips. So where do you go when you start from there? As, as, as that's the first pornography that you see when you're in that brain state of, oh, I'm trying to figure out who I am and how I get aroused, um, going from how it used to be of whatever you come across um, whether it's paperback or whatever, to now you go straight into hardcore, violent videos of it going on. In the next segment, we are going to be continuing this conversation, but in regards to the best practices in youth ministry for keeping students safe. So stick around. We will return. Uh, my name is Steve Carter. The teaching team at, at NTS is such a fun thing to be a part of uh, for a number of reasons. One is the intentionality that goes in months and months and months before the students ever show up to a campus. Uh, the ideas, the content, the, the dreaming, the ways that the teachers are able to connect and share notes and resources, the way that they're praying. It really is, even though you might be teaching at one site, um, your ideas are being shared all across all of these campuses across the country impacting all these students and you feel like you're a part of a team. Jeff and the team, I mean, they just do a fantastic job with this and and then the camp's just fun. It's just fun to be a part of. It's fun to see the competitions, it's fun to see the characters and it's fun just to have these moments where you're actually worshiping and you're watching students respond. Um, like I just, I love being a part of it. Well, let's talk about youth ministry. Let's talk about what we can do on that side of the equation. And Brian, one of the reasons we wanted to have you on here, one of the things I love about you is not only um, what you're doing out there every day to try to protect kids, which is amazing, by the way. And thank you for your service in doing that, because I know it's a, it's a really intense job that you do, but you're, you're changing lives and you're making a difference. So thank you for that. But I also appreciate how you're doing that in your local church. You're a part of a really strong ministry. And uh, so talk to us about youth ministry here for a minute, because you, you live in both worlds. You're, you're actively involved 
at your church as well in your local youth ministry. So let's say you're 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 talking here to an audience where a lot of us, many of us, most of us are involved in our local churches and in youth ministries, a lot of us. You're there, you're looking across the room in your weekly youth meeting. What are the signs that might tip us off that a student may not be safe? One of the things that I see, you know, first of all, is they just start to isolate. They isolate themselves from their friends. Um, they just seem down. Um, and, and that's really a time that we need to, I think, step up and, and seek these kids out. And um, even if they don't want to talk to us, we just need to be there for them and see, see what, they have, what they have to say. Um, another thing that I've seen with victims is they go the opposite way. And they're your kids that you're like, I sure hope that kid doesn't show up this week because he's always disruptive. You know, sometimes that means that there's something else going on, too, that we need to seek out and find out. We had a really good uh, speaker come talk to us before this year we started and really address those kids that act out like that and how their want and their need for attention. So if you can see that kid come in the door, if you can intervene right then, give them the attention that they need so they're not trying to find it by acting out or, or being loud or interruptive in your small group or anything like that is, is really helpful. Another thing that we see is with any of these kids, it does take time to just start talking to them. And just like, it's hard to say this, but just like the predators, we have to earn their trust too first before they're willing to come to us. We live in a world that nothing is true anymore. You hear one thing on the news one day, and everybody's jumping on board with it. And the very next day you hear that that's false. So how do you think these kids can know what truth is if what they hear every day is not true? Now, the other thing is, too, is just keep track of your kids. If they're not showing up on a regular basis and they normally are, um, we need to check in and see what's going on with that, as well as keep plugged in with the parents if that's at all possible. I know that's tough because sometimes the parents don't want to be plugged in. They're looking at a babysitter for Wednesday night. So there's just a whole list of things. But I think the main point to this is if you feel that something's wrong and you're doing youth group stuff, you know, you need to act on that. That's I feel that that is God talking to you saying, hey, that kid needs to talk to you. Something's going on in that kid's life. And let's intervene. And, and like our youth pastor says now, let's own it. Um, he's had us on this mission to just own it this year. And uh, we all should be youth pastors because we're all there. We're there to help further God's kingdom. A lot of this conversation is revolving around keeping students safe as the adults are the predators. What are the signs for when the student, him or herself, is a predator? Right. And uh, this is something that I believe we'll see more and more of as well. It was like I talked about before the break, um, when they're seeing such horrible pornography as their intro into their sexuality and that's what they want to accomplish but then you have different girls and boys that aren't like that at all in reality so these kids are going to try to find a way to get to that point sometimes these kids have been abused themselves which i've seen uh in youth ministry you got to watch when they talk in groups just pay attention to what they say and you're going to start catching them in lies they're going to start saying one thing in group and sometimes they may even like a kid may open up and say something that's true and they're the one uppers there's someone who's going to be like oh that happened to you well this happened to me you know and this once again is just what i've seen and not necessarily a study or anything like that um, they're going to be your one uppers they're going to be 
people that you constantly catch in lies and just silly lies, lies that they don't even need to lie about, whether it's a story that happened to them outside or something that happened within the youth ministry. Um, the other thing is, you know, you got to keep this in mind anyways, just try to keep as much co-mingling uh, apart as you can. Um, but, you know, anytime that they can get somewhere alone within within the building or within when they're when they're being watched by you, then bad things can happen as well there. But I think the main keys are to watch for the kids that are just lying for no reason, as well as they play the one-up game. And that just leads down a path where they get to the point where they have so many lies and they have to continue to manipulate to get back to the truth or to keep people uh, believing what they're saying. Then in turn, you may possibly have a, a child suspect there. Let's talk about onboarding adults into student environments in ministry context. And I'll give a little preface to this. 20 years ago at our church that I'm still involved with, I used to work there, and now I'm a volunteer involved in the youth ministry, we started a whole new process at that time where we, we brought in adults and treated it kind of like applying for a job. And the, the landscape's definitely changed, but 20 years ago, this was a pretty novel concept, and it was definitely new to me where we said, okay, if you want to be an adult volunteer, you need to come in, you need to apply so that we know who you are. We're going to do a background check on you, and then we're going to interview you, and then when we feel good about it, then we'll bring you on. And before that, any, any ministry that I knew of, it was like, okay, if you want to be a leader, sure, show up on Wednesday. Come hang out. We'll get you plugged into a group or whatever. And so it, it kind of flipped the script for me. Now it's pretty common practice to do background checks. And if you're listening to this and you don't do background checks, you need to get with the program and do background checks for sure. So let's assume everyone here, Brian's doing background checks. What are other things that we can do on the front end of onboarding youth workers that's preventative to protect students? Well, it's just it should be just part of your training process anyway, um, that they need to be partnered up. If you have the ability, I know resources are short. It's tough to get people to volunteer to partner up with someone who's been there a while. Um, first of all, they just need to learn how things roll. You need to make sure that they are teaching what your church believes to these kids, as well as you're just, you know, keeping an eye on them because they're still in their, we'll say, probationary phase with the job. I think that's a big thing. And then you and I kind of talked about this this summer. And if there's something that raises a red flag, it needs to be addressed. I am learning more and more. And I know I'm in the field, but just when I get a weird, creepy feeling about somebody up the back of my neck and I just let it slide, it has bitten me in the rear multiple times where you need to act on that and not saying necessarily yourself, uh, include include your pastor, include um, other people in the ministry uh, and just talk to this person and be open and just be like, Hey, this is the feeling we have. Why do we have this feeling? Um, can you explain it to us? And um, I think if we kind of talked about this this summer, Jeff, if, if they're open to it and they want to be part of the ministry and there's nothing to worry about, they're going to listen to you. They're going to change if they're doing something that doesn't seem right they're going to fall into line and, and be helpful and understand where you're coming from. Now, if they're borderline a suspect or someone who's looking to prey on kids, they're probably going to give you a bad response and maybe leave or raise a big stink about it with the whole church in general. Who knows? 
but that's not for us to worry about. Our, we are worrying about keeping the kids safe. So if you see something, I feel it just needs to be addressed as soon as possible. Have you ever seen a leader who started in the youth ministry as just innocent reasons that turned into taking advantage of students just by not realizing the signs or the inappropriate boundaries that they were supposed to have in place, and all of a sudden they were caught up into a an inappropriate relationship with a, a middle school or high school student? Um, I've heard about that. I, I haven't seen that in, in our ministry or any ministries here, um, but it could very easily could happen. That's why, you know, we have a, a policy book in place and strict rules on, you know, how many adults need to be with the kid at a time. Um, if there's any private conversation, it's never with the opposite sex. Rides home. If, if a ride needs to be given home, it needs to be with with a member of the same sex, or even two leaders need to take them home. You just have to have those guardrails in place beforehand uh, because it very easily can happen. Once again, these kids are getting the attention from these adults that they are craving, and it would be very easy for them to have a crush on one of the adults, then the adult be put in a situation where maybe their home life isn't as great as they want it to be, and now someone's paying attention to them. It's just how the enemy works, and he's active, and I feel without those guardrails in place, that could happen very easily in a youth ministry. Brent, what resources, if any, would you recommend to youth workers listening or parents that would help them in this area? One that I use all the time, because there's no way you're ever going to know all the applications out there. I don't. I get cases all the time. I'm like, wow, never heard of that. And this is a plug for a guy named Josh Oaks and his website's called smartsocial.com. And I know you guys have had people on earlier um, in sessions past and stuff that also give some great resources too. But Josh Oaks, he goes through every app that comes out and you can search it on his webpage and he'll give a little five minute video on how it works. This is how it works. This is what to look for. He even uh, categorizes them. These are the green go ahead apps. These are the yellow, you know, with parents guidance, maybe they'd be all right. And then the red apps, don't use these apps at all. Um, he also set up a like a parents uh, like an online you or something like that. He calls it where you as a parent or a leader can go through this and um, learn. Um, you can take your kids through it with you and just learn all the different ins and outs of online and being being safe. Like Facebook, um, when it says when you're going to upload a picture. And then it says, can I have access to your camera roll, which you see that happen many times yeah. on di different apps. They don't just take the picture you're uploading. They take all your pictures from your device. So I get a search warrant, and then it comes back. It shows synced images, and those are images that they never uploaded, but yet this company will still mine that data and keep that which is crazy. Whoa. And that's all in the end user agreement that nobody ever reads. On the other side, um, he really promotes just the positive social uh, digital footprint. So yes, you need to be using Facebook. Yes, you need to be using Instagram, things like that. But you need to be using it to post the positive things in your life. I did this, this play I was in, this project that I did in school. Start posting that because jobs, schools, Everybody in the future looks at your social footprint to see where you've been and what kind of either worker or student you're going to be for their college. You know, a paper resume doesn't even mean much anymore. It's all about your digital footprint. And then just one last thing with that for parents, um, you know, this is a great site. There's plenty of other sites out there and resources to go to. But 
Something you need to remember about anything on the internet, once it's posted, it's always there, whether it's deleted or taken down. So whatever your children or the kids in our youth ministry post is going to follow them the rest of their life. So what they do in a moment of when their brains are developing and they can't make good decisions is going to affect them the rest of their life. We need to train them. We need to take them aside, go through something like safesmartsocial.com or any other resource that's out there. Because we put it as, you wouldn't give a kid a gun without any gun training and say, good luck. You know, you wouldn't give them the keys to a car and not train them how to, how to drive a car. They may, you know, drive it off the road. They could crash, they could get hurt, they could shoot themselves with the gun. But without that training, um, they don't, they're gonna figure out how to use it, which may be the wrong way, and it's gonna affect them the rest of their life. The Thought Factory podcast is brought to you by Never the Same, whose vision is to see new generations transformed in Christ to further the kingdom of God. Learn more at neverthesame.org. Welcome to the bonus segment of this podcast, the Thought Factory bonus segment, where we are providing all the information and updates in regards to an event that we are putting on in the year 2020 called Claim Your Campus 2020. And today I have the privilege to have Jared Amrine in the studio. He is the Claim Your Campus's growth strategist. And so he is joining me today to provide more of the updates and the information that is in regards to this event. And so Jared, can you share with our listeners uh, what has been developing more recently? I know there's been uh, some exciting news. Yeah, there's been a lot of really cool stuff. Um, even just last night, we were able to uh, go to the Four King Country concert and had a chance to meet the guys. And uh, they are, as you know, signed on to be at the event, at the 2020 event. And um, they're just really excited. They're really excited. Their heart is for this generation of students. Uh, they went on to talk about how they're, more ministry focused and not business focused, you know, in just the, the music world. And so that was really cool to see our hearts kind of align and, um, yeah, kind of get on a deeper level with them about what the event's going to look like. And so they're really excited for that. And we're excited to have them. Uh, some other really cool stuff is that, uh, you know, as we're promoting this and as we're asking organizational uh, leaders and um, influential, key influential leaders to come on board, uh, we're just getting more and more partners to uh, come alongside us to really make this event what it needs to be organizationally for all the different ministry organizations out there, um, really allowing this event to be a platform for organizations to unite for students because we're all focused on students and this generation of students. So that's been really cool. Jared, I know with any event this large, it takes a lot of financial support. And so back in May, where were you guys at financially for this event and where are you at now yeah back in may uh as we started the funding for the campaign to the event not just the event itself but campaign towards it uh you know like any other campaign you start at zero and just a few short months later uh here we are almost fully funded so god has really been opening up doors and uh it's been really fast it's been amazing to see how god is just really pushing this this forward for any adults that are listening we have been promoting the adult advocacy. Can you take 30 seconds to just continue to talk about what that looks like and what that means for an adult to come on board? 
So in this 2018-2019 school year, we've been asking adults to become advocates. And advocates kind of looks two ways right now. It looks like you can pray for a school and pray and ask that God would move mightily in that school, and then that you would also register that school for the event and bring a group of students to the 2020 event, that, that we would be able to uh, have that moment where we're passing that, that baton to uh, you know, the next generation of students. So the adult campaign has been going really well. Uh, a lot of really good response from adults, and uh, they are just so excited as they hear this and, and, and just want to be involved in any way that they can. If you want to get involved, if you are interested in more information, you can go to ClaimerCampus2020.com, or you can go to Facebook and search Claimer Campus Advocates, and you can be a part of that group. You can get updates. You can continue to interact with us in various ways. And also, if you are on the Claimer Campus Advocates page, uh, you can see our weekly advocate coaching videos put on by Jeff Eckert, and uh, it really gives a lot of insight onto um, as to how to be an advocate for a school and what that may look like uh, for the 2020 event. What time are those at? Tuesday, 9 p.m. Eastern. Every Tuesday. Perfect. Claimer Campus 2020. Hope to see you there.